Hey, hey, welcome to the Wilds cast. This week I had the pleasure of speaking with Lizzie Savetsky. Lizzie uses her influence with 200,000 of her Instagram followers to highlight causes that are close to her heart, that she's passionate about, like Israel advocacy, matchmaking, destigmatizing pregnancy loss, and sobriety. We cover all of this and more in really what I thought was an amazing conversation you do not want to miss. Let's get to it. Okay, we are live. Welcome to the Wilds cast. I am so excited about my guest um, this afternoon, Lizzie Savitsky. Did I pronounce your name right, Lizzie? Lizzie Savitsky. There are some Savitsky's, but we're Savitsky, yes. You're a Savitsky. Okay, great. Well, it's an honor and pleasure to have you. For those of you unfamiliar, and if you're unfamiliar with who Lizzie is, you're probably living under a rock. She's quite popular. Uh, Lizzie is a digital influencer who uses her platform to advocate for really important uh, causes that are close to her heart. Uh, She shares her journey of fashionable motherhood on her social media channels. Uh, Love seeing pictures of her beautiful daughters and baby boy. And she's an outspoken activist for Israel. Huge fan of that and for the entire Jewish people. Works with a lot of non-for-profits and philanthropic movements to support her people and her homeland. Lizzie found the Real Love, Real Loss movement on social media to de-legitimize pregnancy loss, destigmatize, ooh, (laughs) ooh, that was bad, to destigmatize pregnancy loss for Jewish women on a global level, and she built a social media campaign to raise $57,000, call God vote to you, for a Torah, to buy a safer Torah, Torah scroll for the Israeli army in memory of the souls who never made it past the womb. And she more recently developed her IGTV series called Besheret. We're going to talk about that to help Jewish singles find love. And she has this incredible mission to empower people to stand up for what they believe in. And Lizzie, with your permission, if it's okay with you, I'd like to dedicate this podcast uh, to the two 19-year-old Israelis, uh, Corporal Yazan Fala and Shirel Abukrat. Abu Karats, excuse me, who were killed yesterday in ISIS attack in Israel, and to the other four other innocent Israelis uh, who were murdered just last week in Beersheba, Doris Yabas, uh, who was a 49, mother of three, Lori Yitzchak, another mother of three, Rabbi Moshe Kravitsky, father of four, and Menachem Yecheskel, a 67-year-old gentleman. Our hearts and our prayers go out to the families. And uh, may our conversation and whatever Torah emerges from this serve as an elevation for their souls. Amen. Thank you. Um, thank you, Lizzie. Thank you for joining us. Tell us, what is your main message that you're trying to get across on social media? And, and tell us how you got started. So I got started um, purely out of passion um, as a creative outlet. I founded an accessories blog um, back in 2013. I was working in the fashion PR world and I was writing freelance for some different publications as well. And I just thought, why not start my own blog? Um, I never thought that this would turn into a career that I could make money or that I would be able to have a real impact beyond the world of fashion. Um, And so everything really happened organically for me. Um, Mm. I've always lived out loud and loved sharing my life and loved um, sharing whatever inspiration I find, not letting it, you know, just live within me, but sharing it out with the world. And um, so that's really what this journey has been about for me um, and mm-hmm. up until today. And it's just evolved very naturally, um, you know, as I've gotten 
um, less fulfilled by posting outfit photos. I've found more fulfillment by um, standing up for Israel and using my platform to really inspire others to um, to stand up for what they believe in as well. Um, you know, this all happened sort of accidentally for me. Um, and just realizing, I think in the world that we're in, there's a lot of um, negative connotations around social media and for good reason. Um, and so, you know, being able to take back that power and really use use this platform for good to be able to connect with people, to build relationships and to make a difference in the world. And so um, that's that's where I am today. And that's um, what gets me out of bed in the morning and what I love to do. <laughs> that's awesome. I mean, listen, that's a great one of the primary values of Judaism, you know, is to take whatever we can in the world and use it for something good. Anything could be, you know, corrupted and anything could be used for something wonderful. So, uh, uh, Yishakach to you, a big uh, rabbinic pat on the back. Um, how do you balance, though? I'm, I'm really curious when I see a lot of your posts, and I do a fair amount of posting myself, but how do you balance being a wife and a mother with a social influencer? Like, how does it not get into your personal life like how can is it hard to kind of make that distinction like when you're out with your family and you're having a great time there's this like i know it could be a little intimate with the family you know the kids uh, you know but then it's like a great picture it could be a great post like how do you deal with that i have really worked hard on boundaries it doesn't come naturally to me to set them and uh mm -hmm. you know i i'm somebody that um, I just want to share everything. Um, I see all the opportunities and it's hard for me not to capitalize on them. Um, you know, for myself and for, and for my family, it's, it's hard for me to, um, pull, to rein it in, um, in certain moments. I'm extremely grateful for Shabbos. Um, that's, ex mm -hmm. that's so sacred to me. I don't know how I would yeah. be, be able to do what I do without having that, you know, 25, protected hours a week where I'm just unplugged and from the world and plugged into my family. Um, but I'm not good with balance. It's something that I'm constantly working on. I'm a Libra. I don't know if like, you know, I, I know that my sign is a scale and I'm supposed to be balanced, but I don't really know if it exists. And I think every day it looks a little bit different to me, but I have to work at it. Like I have to say, okay, I'm not going to pick up my phone. I'm not going, I'm not going to annoy my family today. But um, on the flip side of that, you know, it's great that I'm able to really involve my kids and my husband in my work um, and they're a part of it and they see, um, you know, what I'm trying to do and that it's not just me trying to get attention or um, show the world all of, you know, these beautiful possessions that people send us. But it's about, um, you know, trying to, to send a deeper message, even if we're doing it in a very well-dressed manner. Um, and so they're, they're a big part of my content and, um, they're pretty, they're pretty, um, into it. It's funny. Both of my girls, um, like want Instagram accounts and want to, and want to be a part of it. And, um, one of the things that, uh, Robertson Young Rice is a big, um, hero of mine. Um, and I've read, you know, pretty much everything she's written or everything about her. Um, and one of the biggest take homes that I love from her is that whenever she would travel for work. She would take one of her children with her. She wanted them to know the work she was sure. doing and to see, you know, when mommy goes away, this is this is what's going on. Um, and so I, I definitely have a non-traditional career because it does involve me documenting so much of so much of my personal life. Um, 
And so, you know, but I, I think that there's a lot of blessings in that. And it's just a constant um, struggle for me to figure out where the line is. Yeah. I mean, I, I appreciate the honesty. It's honestly, I asked that question because <clears throat> it's a little autobiographical, you know. Um, sure. I'm also a little more love to share. My wife is a little more private and she can definitely get annoyed if capturing some moment and she knows it's getting posted. Um, on the other hand, I feel like, you know, if you can inspire people and you can, you know, you're in a certain place with a certain group of people and you could really help others on their journey, whether it's meeting somebody new, whether it's growing in their Judaism, then how can we not? At the same time, you need boundaries, as you said. So it's it's finding that balance. I love what you said about Shabbos, man, because without Shabbos, forget it. We're, we're done. Totally. <laughs> it's like, I, but yeah. It's a, yeah. probably a whole different ball game for a rabbi because that's like your... That's your busiest day of the week in some ways. It's it's the busiest day, you know, so <clears throat> my dad always jokes like I raised you to not work on Shabbos kind of thing. But um, we I, we protected our Shabbat um, experience by having one meal always alone with our family. So we have one That's meal smart. for the community. We have 15, 20 people, and then we have one meal alone. Um it's really, really important to have that, even if it's not as long as quality time, you know? Yeah, absolutely. But, but um, you're really vocal about your support for Israel. I'm a huge fan of, of, of those posts. What kind of negative pushback I'm sure you've gotten? Uh, where and from whom? Curious. I get it from every angle, and it's definitely been the um, biggest test in building a thick skin for me which doesn't come naturally to me at all. I am a very sensitive person, feel everything. Um, you know, I'm an artist and, and that's, you know, that's why I'm able to create. It's a gift in a way. Um, but with the nature of this job, it's, it makes it hard. Um, but the pushback that I get comes from, of course, um, the anti-Israel crowd. Um, and the, they're the, they're the ones that, um, I don't have, even though their, um, pushback is the scariest because, um, it comes with, yeah, during the war in Gaza last year, I actually even was getting some death threats um, for sure. my for my strong um, pro, pro-Israel posts, which was scary. You know, I've never encountered anything like that before or worried about my security. Um, but the, the pushback that I get that's the hardest for me to stomach is from my fellow Jews um, that mm. say, you know, yeah. People that don't like me drawing attention to the fact that um, anti-Israel sentiments contribute directly to anti-Semitic violence. Um, They don't want the attention on that. There's something in our um, Jewish nature that I guess makes people, you know, we'd rather not have that attention. Just maybe just ignore it and maybe it'll go away. Or, um, you know, why are, why do you want to cause trouble? Um, and that, that's harder for me, um, because it it makes me angry. You know, I want, I, I feel like we have such an obligation to stand together as one family. And when we start, um, coming at each other, um, in such a hateful way and such a lack of understanding, um, no, no desire to really even have a, a conversation. Um, that that's much harder for me. 
and um you know there's a lot so of it's the it's the <clears throat> it's the fellow jews exactly. that, that get under your skin exactly i mean you know that historically we have a, a long history of that of just wanting to blend in to sort of assimilate into the culture in which we live and not be thought of as any different and it's hard because we're supposed to live a little differently so we can inspire others on the other hand we just we want to go a little more unnoticed and uh the state of Israel will never go unnoticed, <laughs> nor will the Jewish people. That's absolutely you know? true. Yeah, but um, do you do you um, do you get drawn into like these little, I don't know, back and forths on 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 Instagram, or you just, what's your approach when when somebody makes a nasty comment? Do you feel like you need to respond? If I don't respond, it looks like I don't have an answer. But if I do respond, it's just going to back and forth just adding fuel to the fire. I usually let other people have the fights on my posts um, mm -hmm. and stay out of it myself. Um, mm -hmm. I've learned that engaging in it um, just takes too much out of me and it gets in my way of being able to create the next thing. Um, and, you know, there are plenty of people out there that feel the way I feel that will go to battle um, on, on behalf of taking the stand that I would. Um, and so I usually try to just let the other people have the fight. Um, and I, you know, and in a way, um, when I see the negativity come my way, I feel like I'm having a real impact because um, <clears throat> if I was only preaching to people <clears throat> who see things my way, um, what am I really changing in the world? Right. And right. so um, right. I really do try to keep that perspective, even though the gut reaction when you see the negativity is, Ooh, what did I just put out there that's causing all this chaos? Right, right. I mean, that's a good point. Like, if you just get pats on the back and you just get nods and likes, it's it's good to be machazik, to strengthen people's beliefs. Um, but what we don't have enough of are people with opposing views having conversations. I mean, is that one of the goals? I mean, to, to be able to actually, because with your fashion and with your interests, your artistic interests, you could really engage a very different type of audience, not an audience that is really loving Israel or the Jewish people so much. I would say that that's 100% um, why I've been successful with this evolution, because I think people come to me with their guard down. They don't expect to get this controversy and this conflict. You know, they're, they're seeing pictures of, of my family and my fashion. And um, so they're in a different mindset. And I think that that's where I have the real ability to create change is um, in those moments of vulnerability where people aren't coming to me. I'm not, you know, I'm not CNN. I'm not Fox. Um, I'm just a fashion blogger, essentially. Um, and so they, you know, that's, that's really where there's a chance for open conversation. Yeah, I think that's great. Uh, tell us a little about the, uh, the matchmaking. You know, I'm, we're really big on that. Not that to tout our horn, but uh, we're up to three seventy-seven now. It's amazing, married. unbelievable. Yeah, now it's 20, 23 years. Twenty-three years. Lots of events every year. COVID definitely put a little, you know, um, yeah, in that. But thank God we're back. You do some really great online matchmaking. First of all, tell me where the passion comes from, and what's unique about your approach. So I got married very young by my standards. I got married at 23. I didn't grow up religious. Mm -hmm. Never thought that I would get married so young. Um, and I sort of feel like I had this like 
FOMO, like missing out on like that dating life that I saw all my friends get to do. Um, and so it sort of started as just like a way to live vicariously through my friends that I wanted to set up. Like I wanted to hear about their love lives. Um, like I felt like I was getting to sort of date through them. Um, and I had an act for it. I, I had some success in just setting people up and I just thought it was fun. I mm -hmm. love, love, um, set up Jews, mm -hmm. non-Jews. Um, and mm -hmm. then, but then when I decided to, basically it was just an idea that my assistant and I had on my couch one day, a few months ago, not thinking it would turn into anything or, um, that people would really care. Um, and we just thought we'd interview singles live on Instagram. Um, and if anyone thought that they would be a good match, then they could reach out to them directly. So just using my platform as a way to give these single people more exposure. Then we decided that it would be a lot more entertaining if we had these singles actually date in front of us. Mm -hmm. And so the format is there's one main bachelor or bachelorette and they go on speed dates for five to 10 minutes with four people um, and everyone watches and people love it because it's, um, it's relatable. We all know the the feeling of those like awkward first few minutes of a date where you're getting to know someone. And, um, you know, I was, I was hopeful that we would be able to actually set people up in these virtual dates, but my mm -hmm. goal was really beyond that. My goal was really to just give these people exposure in a fun, lighthearted way. And so much of what I do is so heavy. Um, standing up for Israel, standing up against anti-Semitism. And I love being a Jewish person. I have so much Jewish pride. And I thought by doing this, it would be a way to kind of put some lighthearted happiness and joy back into um, the content that I'm putting out there. Um, and people just love it. It's been amazing. We have four couples that have met um, through, our, um, through our virtual show. Um, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of, but a lot of people just reach out because they see people on it. Oh, you'd be great for yeah. my cousin or, oh, you know, <laughs> it's, and so it's, it's incredible. And I, and I also like, it's, um, it was a movement for me away from the apps because I just don't think that the apps are, um, the answer. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of times you can see someone's photo and be attracted, but if you heard them talk for five minutes, you would know immediately that they're not the one for you. And so why waste a whole night of your life on a date with them? Right, right. It's funny what you say. First of all, congratulations on the four. I think that's incredible. Thank you. Um, it's, um, you know, we just had two MGE weddings this past Sunday. It's incredible. Mazel to, I, 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 Thank you. I officiated one. I couldn't, you can't dance at two weddings. You can <laughs> dance at two weddings, by the way. Just can't officiate <laughs> at the same time at both. So I did one, one of the other MGE rabbis did the other. And it was amazing. We we had them both over together. They both met through um, dating apps, which was interesting. They don't love. They didn't. They were like a little embarrassed to talk about it. Like like uh, you know like they like they did something. I was like, dude, there's nothing wrong. It's just a means to an end. But the more portals we can open for people to meet, like I, I that was very hard during COVID for us because most everyone who was met through MG has met you know, in person, in, in person at an event. And then you can socialize and hang out. And by the way, if you ever want to do anything, we do these retreats. The retreats are really great because an event where you're coming, let's say for a dinner and you're all decked out. So you look great and it's lovely, but it's like one event. 
Right. But if you go on a ski retreat, like we just did a few weeks ago, you got like eight or nine opportunities to kind of like strut your stuff and just be in a more relaxed around the, you know, kumzits at set on Saturday night around the campfire or on the slopes at a Shabbat dinner. It's all in one weekend. It's like going to summer so, camp. Uh, yeah. <laughs> if we just had summer camp for people in their twenties and thirties. That's what we need. You know, that's very cool. You I know? love that idea. We should totally talk about partnering for one of those. So we're, I'll tell you, we're doing a, we're doing a spring retreat in the Berkshires in June and we do a ski retreat every year. And then we do a trip to Israel and a lot of our people have met on these, um, on these getaways because people are a little more relaxed. Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, you, you sort of, you're probably able to have a much more normal conversation the third day, but you know, you're not as nervous. And I also find that if people are coming to an event not to meet, but because they like the speaker, um, something about the event was attracting them other than the prospect of meeting someone, it takes a little of the edge off, I yeah. find. Yeah, they're, they're and then there's the themselves. common ground already to bond over. Right. All right. So we have tons of classes and just, you know, there's always a social hour. But um, right. I hear you're moving to New York at some point. We are moving true? back Sep- September 1st. It's, oh my gosh. It's a true rumor. Um, it's a true rumor. Um, we are, um, yes, we just made our announcement. We're very excited. We've had a great time in Dallas. Um, the community has been great. Um, you know, we just, we love New York and for both of our careers, I think it's the right move. And, you know, to be a Jew in New York, there, there's nowhere like it. So um, I think, I think it's a good choice for our family. I'm definitely nervous about going from a house back to an apartment, but details, you know? Well, when you get here, we, uh, whatever, whatever you need, we're here. I mean, we can't replace Rabbi Ariel Rakovsky. For those of you who don't know, Rabbi Rakovsky is Lizzie's rabbi in Dallas and uh, a friend and a colleague of mine for many years. But we got some rabbis in New York. Yeah, just a few. (laughs) Yeah, Rabbi Rakovsky has been amazing. I I had a... a girlfriend who is not religious and she reached out to me. She wanted to do some weekly learning. And so I asked uh, Rabbi Rakowski if he would come over every week. And so we started this, this weekly thing and then we decided to make it virtual. And so now every week we bring um, five to 10 minutes of Torah to my followers with him. And it's been oh, great. Awesome. People love it. Yeah. And it's just, it's really, it's something I wanted to do for myself. And I thought, why not, why not bring my followers along? And um, it's, it's been good for Rabbi Rakowski's social media presence for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so. You should just, you just, you should just know, and I'm, I'm, he's listening, he'll, he'll be listening to this, but he was the one that started videotaping himself doing a Parsha, just like a little snippet for the Parsha of the week. I saw that this is many years ago. This could be close to 10 years ago maybe eight, nine years ago. I don't remember exactly. And I was like, oh, that's such a good idea. You know, rabbis like to steal from each other. It's a it's a form of flattery, a, imitation, right? Uh, he was doing this back when. So, uh, and he's got great- he, He's ahead of his time. <laughs> he's also- Love it. He's awesome. Let me ask you, let me ask you this. Uh, sometimes it's kind of going back to something we started speaking about before. Your image on social media often looks like perfect attractive, beautiful family, upscale clothing, you're traveling to Paris, you're in these beautiful places. You know, it looks like you're living the dream. And I've I've had this conversation with a lot of my students for whom 
Facebook, Instagram, social media becomes a difficult thing because they're seeing other people looking great, sounding great. You know, nobody posts their failures. I failed the bar. My girlfriend dumped me. I just got fired from my, nobody posts those things. You know, I'd I'd love, actually, I'd love a, um, like a social media platform where people just posted failures and when they're bad days. Yeah. It's just like, what would you say to, you know, to people who are seeing a consistent, and I like your positive message. It's not about the message. This is more about like the look and the feel. It's always so great. Right. You know, um, it's interesting (laughs) that you would ask me, I, um, the initial motivation for me to shift my platform from um, fashion into a deeper message was when I was struggling with my pregnancy losses. I was going through um, an ectopic pregnancy and um, I was recovering and I was like, wow, I feel like I was like, I feel so isolated. I feel so um, just emotionally floored. Um, and like my followers, I was like, my followers think my life is perfect. Um, and also like, if I'm going through this, how many other people are going through something that they feel alone in? Um, and so I decided to just impulsively share about this. And this was in 2018. Um, and I just vulnerably, um, got on Instagram crying, no makeup, just started talking about it. Um, and my inbox was just flooded. Um, and I realized I was like, wow, people are so thirsty for authenticity. Um, and there's a lot of people out there that are going through something and feeling some sort of pain. Um, and you know, it helped me because it made me feel less alone to open the door for this community. And, um, and, you know, I've shared about, um, I've recently, I'm, I have almost eight months of sobriety. Um, which I've been public about um, wow. substance abuse and um, talking about that. And I think it's so important to show to show it all, to show the full picture. Um, and I know that not every that not everyone is comfortable doing that, but I just feel an obligation if as somebody who's so public, who is showing so much of the good to really show that um, there's another side to life too, and that we all go through things. Um, and you know, that's not to say that I'll, I'll share it always in the moment. Sometimes it's after the fact when I feel, um, like, you know, with, especially like with my sobriety, I wanted to make sure that I, uh, I was very protective of it. And I wanted to make sure that I felt like spiritually fit enough to, to open up about that, to be able to really, to help others. Um, but yeah, it's, I think it's important to, to be as real as possible or as you're able to be. Well, I, I, first of all, I wish you, I, I give you a color vote again, just a huge pat on the back for sharing because it does make a difference. I talk to people. I have a lot of students. We have a big following here at MGE in Manhattan. And when someone like yourself, who's living the life shares real life struggles, when someone else goes through that struggle, struggle, whether it's a pregnancy struggle or it's a sobriety struggle, you know, it really it almost validates it on some level for people because, and, and, and makes them feel, makes us uh, beyond, we all have our stuff. It makes us feel like, okay, she's dealing with this. Look how beautiful she is. Look how smart she is. Look how great she has this beautiful family, but 
that makes it real, first of all, and also enables people to grow and learn from your posts. You know, there's this big raging controversy over the years uh, on in biblical scholarship as to what to do with all the mistakes, sins, transgressions, and foils, foibles, I should say, of the great biblical patriarchs, matriarchs. Right? The Torah doesn't cover up some of the mistakes and the problems and issues. I mean, look at all the family issues Avraham and Sarah dealt with. Right, and almost every one of our great patriot, uh, patriotic, patriarchal, matriarchal couples—Avram and Sarah and Yitzchak and Rivka—they all had a kid. They had a very hard time dealing with Esav or Yishmael. How did they negotiate that? How did they deal with that? Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't allowed into Eretz Yisrael. He wasn't allowed into Israel because he lost his cool. That's what the Rambam believes. My mind is that he hit the rock instead of speaking to the rock. So why would the Torah share that? Why wouldn't we want to just be left with a picture-perfect you know, image of Moses? Because we can't really learn from him then. You can't really learn from Moshe's greatness when all he does is great things. Because <laughs> then you're like, yeah. okay, that's him, and, I, and I'm not like Moshe. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's so important to see the humanity in, in people that we respect and admire because um, we're all human, and we have to be able to... Um, we, you know, we have to be able to sort of put the goal, the uh, perfect, the attainability of perfectionism just aside, um, because we'll, we'll never get there. Um, I, yeah, and I love, um, you know, I loved learning when um, I was going through all of my infertility stru struggles, pregnancy loss struggles, that our greatest matriarchs also shared the same struggles. Because, yeah. um, you know, there's a sense of, shame and guilt when you're not able to do the thing that you you feel like you should be made to do um and so to know that our biblical heroes also had the, had these problems um it just it, it again it makes you feel less alone it makes you feel um like you know maybe th maybe there isn't something wrong with me maybe i'm just a human yeah and look how they recovered look how they dealt with it i mean we learn so much to this we learn so much. We, I mean, it'll be very specific. We learn how to daven, how to pray from the Tfilat Chana, from the prophetess Chana, who was davening, desperately pleading with God to have a child. And she made this deal with God that if she gave him a son, that he would, she would dedicate him and he became like a Nazareth for life. I mean, that's just so powerful that the way Jews daven to this day came from a woman who was so pleading and desperate for a child and I just, I, I find that very motivating. I also, I find a lot of the stories with King David and a lot of the issues he had, the internal enemies within the Jewish community, the external enemies, the Philistines. But he left us with a book of Tehillim, a book of Psalms that we pick up and use whenever we're down because he understood, because of his experiences, his personal human experiences, that you turn towards God when things go bad, not away. And, and that, that often is, you know, our knee-jerk reaction, of course, is to get angry with God and to pull away from God. He must hate me. He must be angry with me. But King David taught us that when things go wrong, that's where we can find some solace. You know, Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I, um, it, it, in the middle of the struggle, it's very hard um, to to see that and but it's like i'm so incredibly grateful for all of the hardship that i've been put through because i it's motivated me now to 
to do something. And I've, I've seen my, I, w- I wish that I hadn't had to go through what I've gone through to see my strength, but yeah. that that's the journey. Yeah. We, we had actually, um, I, this is before COVID a couple of years before COVID there just happened to be MG's mostly twenties, thirties singles, but like 10, 20% are young couples. And uh, we just had a, a spate of young couples going through fertility issues and nobody was talking to each other about it until one very brave young woman young, um, got up and in her introduction to the Parsha just started sharing what she was going through and related it so magnificently to what she was talking about. I can't even tell you what that opened up. Unbelievable. Like eight or nine, eight or nine other couples literally at that minion at that service on Shabbat morning came over to her, came over to me. I had no idea they were going through this because they, they were embarrassed, like you said, and, and they found, they ended up starting a support group and now it's become like an issue we can talk about, you know, I, I, and it, it just took one brave person, you know? Yes, exactly. And I think it was the scariest thing I ever did was to open up about these things that were so stigmatized, but um, there's not been one moment of regret looking back. Like it's, if anything changed the whole trajectory of my path by sharing and, and seeing um, how, how much support is really out there. Yeah. And, and the, the sobriety issue that you raised also is incredibly important because addiction just to so many different, it's so common today and people need a lot of love and support to get out of it. And the, the more we're not excusing it, but we're saying it happens. And it's unfortunately becoming more of the norm today. Um, so the more we can discuss it and the more we can find, I think, I'm just looking, you know, sources here in these holy books yes. you know, for great, great. Because once you hear like a great person, like Moshe, like, you know, oh, speak. We tell everyone not to speak terrible, not to speak badly about other people. Right. But then when you go through the whole story with Miriam, who spoke ill of her brother Moshe, and you start analyzing the whole story, it's like it becomes real. And all of a sudden, the Torah becomes a book, not some sort of distant, you know, record of these mythical figures who live these saintly, perfect lives, but real people with real struggles. I just think absolutely. that makes Torah come alive. You know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's it's interesting um, how much more connected to my Judaism I've gotten in my sobriety, um, which, you know, I wouldn't necessarily think that. The, the cure for addiction is um, God, but um, absolutely is. And absolutely so much that I've been able to connect back to my Jewish education and, um, you know, seeing with fresh eyes these stories um, and how how I can relate to them. And I just, you know, I um, I'm very grateful to have this this in my back pocket, this tool book, this the Torah, you know, yeah. I had no idea. You don't, you don't think about that when you're growing up, you just associate it with education. You don't think of right. it as how it's right. going to actually work in, you know, weave throughout your life. Yeah. Torah is supposed to be a path through life, not just something that we sort of mark our life rituals, you know, bar mitzvah, naming weddings, which is sort of like, you know, I think a typical American Jewish outlook on Judaism is respect for your religion, but it's, it's just there to, it's not really a path you're going to follow in life. And then when real life situations, I think it, you know, by the way, the God element, the 12 step programs is central, uh, excuse me, God is central to the, to the 12 step programs. It's all about, um, 
you know, it's all sourced in, 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 a, in a belief in, in a God. And I'll tell you one other thing I always found, I have a, a very a, a dear friend and student of mine um, who became sober through a 12-step program. And he said to me that the best thing about the program, he said, is that they always uh, assign you to someone who's a little worse off. <laughs> you know, you have to help somebody else yeah. who is who is also going through, you know, whatever addiction Mm -hmm. And that's a very Torah principle. Oh, totally. Um, it's a Chavruta moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it is. Just, just when you thought you couldn't, you know, couldn't get any worse, there's somebody else that, who's, who needs you more. It's true. Yeah. And there's nothing like helping somebody else to help you get through your struggle. And that, that's a question that I get all the time from my followers, whether they're struggling with pregnancy loss or addiction or whatever it may be. Um, what did you do? What helped you the most? And for me, number one is helping somebody else, um, yeah. you know, taking, taking the spotlight off myself, um, you know, inviting God in and then, and then helping somebody else who's facing a similar struggle. Um, there's so much power in that. There's a, uh, there's a lot of power and I have, I'll bleed out that without taking a vow, I'll send you a copy of my, the first chapter in my first book that I wrote is on happiness. I have a lot of studies in there about the positive correlation of getting, like the way you just said it, about getting yourself out of yourself. That the more you're able to do that and focus on someone else's issue, it doesn't sound, it, it sounds a little counterintuitive because it's like if you have a problem, you want to focus on your own problem. You want to get all the medication, all the therapy for you. But part of the therapy, according to these studies, is starting to focus on the other. Um, yes, definitely. And I, I, you know, it's just, there's nothing more fulfilling than purpose. And, you know, just knowing that you're going to be able to, to be the person that helps somebody else that makes a difference. Um, and that, that really is my message that I want to drive home with my followers is that anyone in the world can make a difference. Um, you know, it does, it's not about having a huge following or, having this massive sphere of influence, but it's, it's person to person. Yeah. Well, you've definitely demonstrated that through your post. Let me ask you one last, I was going to ask you how your Judaism has been, been Judaism has been relevant through to your success, but you've literally answered that in almost every question, which I love. Um, do you think that the uh, Jewish community could stand some more female leaders? Um, and, and how would you go about, I guess, encouraging that more. And one of the things at MG, we always try to have more women that are teachers. Uh, we don't have women that are rabbis, but we have women who are real educators and scholars that we, we promote that a lot at MGE. D do you think the Jewish community is doing a good enough job with this or what do you think? Cause you are, a, I think, you know, I definitely think we could um, do a better job. Uh, you know, I have, I'm, I feel like I have a lot of uh, female, Jewish heroes. Um, I, I have a, a massive um, painting of Golda Meir on my wall. Um, and as I mentioned before, I love uh, rabbits and young rice, um, you know, but I look at, at our current generation and I would like to see more um, empowered women um, taking the, taking the stand um, to really, to really make change. And, you know, I, I really, I, I think that we could uh, do a better job of empowering people. 
um, making them feel like their message is worthy and worth it. Um, and it's, it's great with the, the social media has been an amazing way to reach people. Um, and so encouraging um, people who have a message to use this tool to, um, to get their voice out there. Um, and another thing that I love to, uh, that I love to shed light on is the fact that, um, you know, the Jewish people in Israel, we, we really don't have the best PR. And I think that there's an opportunity to use glitz and glamour and beauty as a way to reach people and have a deeper impact in the world. That's something that I'm trying to do. And I would really like to see more of that. Um, you know, I think about um, how it get, we need, I, I use the metaphor of a crown, how if you have this, this sparkling crown, then people will listen to you and people will pay attention. Um, and so I, you know, I think a lot of times women feel like in order to be taken seriously or to have their message heard, that they sort of have to um, become like a man. And I would encourage them to do the opposite and to just really step into their femininity um, and be as glamorous as they want to be if, if that's what they, if that's who they are. Because I think that that has a huge power to make a difference in the world. Well, this is definitely one of the, thank you for sharing that. That was very powerful. One of, I know you're a fan of my friend Shmuley Vateach. Um, and one of the, his messages over the years that I've internalized, there's this great teaching from the late and great Lubavitch Rebbe that the goal of human existence is to feminize the masculine. Because the Rebbe taught very beautifully that um, um, a man's uh, inclination often is to dominate or to overpower. It actually says that in the, uh, in the Talmud. Whereas a woman's inclination is really to nurture. And that's really what happens in terms of bringing children into the world. That's what a woman does biologically. She nurtures something from within and then develops it sort of from, from internal as opposed to a man that, can, that tends. And these are gross generalizations. I know there are exceptions on both sides. But generally speaking, and the goal is really for that um, nurturing voice to be heard. And one of, one of the things I'm nervous and concerned about is that as more and more women are being encouraged to be more like men, that we're going to lose that. We're going to lose that female voice. First of all, I don't think it's attractive to a lot of men, number one. And number two, I also think that a big part of the way God created us, um, a positive part of the way women were created is going to be lost. And we, we don't need more masculinity dominance we need a proper balance between the two the kabbalah te teaches about this is what the, the rebbe was where the shmuley had this great thing <laughs> where he took that teaching and and talked about how if we keep making more men out of women we're gonna we're gonna, just gonna be losing that so I, I i think that's a really and you've done a very nice job in in sort of expressing that femininity and um hashem should bless you to continue to do everything you're doing to support our brothers and sisters in Israel. And I, um, I hope that whatever light we've shed together in this last hour or so should serve as an aliyat neshamaz in elevation for uh, corporals Yazan Fala and Shirel Abu Karat and the other four Israelis 
Adoris Yabas, Lori Yitzchak, Rabbi Moshe Kravitsky, and Menachem Yecheskel of blessed memory, that their souls should be elevated, and you should continue your amazing, amazing work. I really look forward to you coming to New York. It would be great to uh, to have you come here. I, I know our audience would absolutely adore you um, at MGE, and uh, you should go from strength to strength. I mean, thank you so much, Rabbi. It's been such an honor to be here with you, and I'm really looking forward to connecting in, in real life, and God willing, at one of your retreats, we can help with some of your matchmaking. <laughs> we could definitely continue to use more help in that regard. We got a lot of a lot of people who need to be connected.